If you will, please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, and our context will be verses 1 to 12. As we come in this study to a very famous passage regarding Jesus' instructions to his disciples. And we're going to focus primarily on verses 4 to 7, but I will be looking at the overarching context as we move through our study. In this text, Jesus is giving an exhortation and instructions to his disciples to go out and witness in the face of danger. And if you have sermon notes in front of you, you see the theme of this passage is why we don't have to fear the worst in this world. And Jesus is going to give us three reasons to not fear man nor death. And as we come to this text, I want you to understand Jesus doesn't want his followers to be in fear. But there's going to be a little twist. The fear that he is talking about is the fear of man, fear of the world. I want to make it very clear. The twist in this study, this twist in this text, is that he wants us to fear God, to fear the one that is referenced in this passage. And you'll see it as we read the text here in a second. We know when we come to this passage, Jesus isn't talking about a pandemic. Jesus isn't talking about a virus. And you might say, well, how in the world does this apply to me? Well, we're going to see that the truths that he lays out for his disciples, I think, are timeless. Because today we're called to be his disciples. Matthew 28 says, go out into the world, make disciples. And we're following in the footsteps of those disciples. And I think these principles, as you'll see, are applicable to us. And so, therefore, I want you to follow the instructions that he gives and I want you to be just like the man who was scared of elevators. If you ever hear there was a man who was terrified, who had a great fear of elevators, what did he do? Well, he took steps to avoid them. And that's a joke, okay? He took steps to avoid them, all right? But I want you to be serious about this, and I want you to take the right steps. Follow what these instructions have. Now, we've been doing this um, online study regarding... Um, messages dealing with fear. So we did one last week, we're doing one today, and next week, and I think the following week, we'll be doing another one on fear. And last week we talked about the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, right? And we saw that there was a great analogy of care when we thought of Jesus as the good shepherd from John chapter 10. One passage I didn't bring up to you and it hit me this week is to remind you that we are his sheep. It's in John chapter 21 that Jesus tells Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. So there is an explicit reference that we are sheep and we are to be cared for. And you can push the analogy of care to us with such, I believe, as an explicit reference. But now we come to this passage and we're called disciples. Um, well, his followers are called disciples and I believe we're following in those footsteps. And this is a great text for us because, as I said, it deals so much with fear. It deals so much with worry. And we're living in, obviously, a time of great worry. People are greatly fearing. And they're fearing the wrong things, but can't get their focus off it, right? Because they're fearing the pandemic. They're fearing, are they going to die? Are they, they're fearing their loved ones are going to get it. And we're watching, as we've said, people still going to the grocery stores, still going into um, the stores and emptying the shelves. I went into a couple grocery stores over the past week and shelves were absolutely empty. And, and so the fear is continuing. We're watching the number of people getting this disease growing. Now, I even know somebody who has it. There's a pastor from Palos Heights that came to our church and helped us with our 
He helped us with our creation conference. He lies dying right now as I record this message because he has this virus and they're hoping some experimental drug will help him. And so we want to lift him up in prayer. His name is Bob Sheraton, Pastor Bob Sheraton. And so I know that some of you are still dealing with fear. And even if you're not, perhaps you can take the principles in this text and help others that are dealing with fear. But one thing I want you to know is I do not look at this current situation as a joke. There are some people in this world right now that are absolutely treating it as something to be taken lightly. I don't think that we should be taking it lightly. There's been some really crazy, some really stupid things that have been done. I, there were three that really hit me. One was the guy from New Jersey. Did you hear about that guy? He went out into a department store and he started telling everybody, I've got the virus, I've got the virus. And he started coughing and on people. <coughs> there, a perfect timing. My, that, was, that was not on purpose, that was a real cough. Okay, he literally was coughing on people, but the, and I wanna say, foolish man was recording it, he was putting it on social media, and so they were able to go out and they were catching, they caught him because he coughed right on one woman, and so now he's being charged with domestic terrorism. And then that guy who was in New Jersey, and then there was another guy in Missouri, he went into a Walmart store, and he thought it'd be funny saying, I got the virus, or something along the lines, like, uh, you know, I'm gonna lick all these deodorant sticks. And so he started recording himself licking deodorant sticks, and like a really smart guy, he posted it on social media, whether it was Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, I don't know which one he did. And so they caught him, and he's now facing prison time. And don't think this is just limited to America, because I saw this week that there's two guys in Russia that were in Moscow, and what did they do? They went on the subway, they pretended that they had it, they did all these convulsions, they started acting like, oh, we've got the virus, we've got the virus. They freaked everybody out, they posted it on social media. Again, not the wisest, they got tracked down, and now they are facing up to five years in Russian prison. And the hope is that the Russians will be lenient to them. I, I, I bet you they'll have to serve some time. So there are people that are treating us really lightly, and we don't want to do that. We want to recognize that we have to be responsible, we have to be serious during this time, and yet at the same time, I don't want us to have a mindset of fear. And fear is a mindset that deals with an emotion. So it's the way you think, and it leads to an emotion, an emotion that deals with a lot of anxiety and a lot of dread, where we take a future pain, right? Because fear is dealing with the future that you bring into the present. You don't have the pain now, but you fear. You fear what's gonna happen. So you fear that you're gonna get the virus. You fear that you're not gonna have groceries. You fear that all of a sudden the Antichrist is coming over the corner, right, around the corner. There's a lot of fear that's out there. And so we want to be able to handle it because I think it's the fear of the wrong things. And so as we come to our text, let me just give you the background. As Luke is writing his gospel, he's writing in a very similar way that Matthew and Mark are. Matthew and Mark and Luke are the three synoptic gospels. And as we study any passage, it's important for us to know the context and the timing. And through understanding that Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us a similar pattern, a similar view of the life and ministry of Jesus, we're able to pinpoint this time because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all follow this outline.
they give some preliminary material of Jesus in the beginning, like his birth or some type of background or like um, tied into with maybe John the Baptist. Then they move into Jesus' ministry in, in the north around the Sea of Galilee. And then when Jesus recognizes he's been rejected, there's a transition period from the north to the south. All three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record that and then take us into the Passion Week. That's the fourth part. So you get those four parts, preliminary material, time in the north, his movement south, and then the Passion Week where we tie in easily to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John was written about 30 years after Mark and Luke, Matthew being the first gospel written in about 50 AD. And so why is this important? <clears throat> because when we recognize the different ways that you can look at the ministry of Jesus, we know that this is, in the Gospel of Luke, the longest section of the last year of Jesus' life. You see, when Jesus moves from the north to the south, Matthew only gives us verses, chapters 19 and 20 on it. Mark only gives us chapter 10. But if you go back to Luke right now and you open your Bible and you look in your Bible to Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And why is that so key? It's because at this point, Jesus realizes the Jewish people have rejected him. He's fed the 5,000. He's fed the 4,000. He has basically been challenged to become their king, but yet he said, look, if you don't want my righteousness, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. And people walked away, and it was that they didn't want to be committed to Jesus. And so that's all occurred. And now Jesus is saying, I've got to go to Jerusalem. It's time for me to die. I'm going to go and, and pay the penalty for sin. And knowing that it starts here in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 9, verse 51, all the way down to Luke chapter 19, tells us that all the material that is in 9 and 19, which is an incredible amount of chapters, is dealing with Jesus preparing his disciples to be ready for when he leaves the earth. And it's to have this mindset that is dealing with opposition, dealing with fear. Now, here is the text. Let me read it. Verse 1. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together and they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Verse 2. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you've whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. Verse 4, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Verse 6, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Fear not one of them, yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. Verse 9, but he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. 
But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak or, or your defense or what you are to say. Verse 12, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So as we come to chapter 12 and Jesus gives this exhortation, it's in the light of the fact that the Jews have been openly against him. They've called him in league with Beelzebub, basically in league with Satan. They've rejected him. They've basically called him a liar, as a manipulator. There's out and out hatred for Jesus. Jesus has been gracious and he's been responding. He's been trying to bring truth to these people, but he is facing out and out opposition. Again, it's the last year of his life. Why I wanna point this out is because as we look at the other Gospels, it's in Matthew chapter 10 that perhaps you would have heard language very similar to what I just read. So if you'll just turn back there, <coughs> Matthew chapter 10, and in verse 28 of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, let me read. Jesus giving instructions to his disciples says, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Wait, didn't I just read that in, in Luke? Isn't that the same situation? Isn't that the same instruction? And I say, yeah, it's very similar. And let's go on. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, he says in verse 29. And then in verse 30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Now, on just a simple look, you might say, well, it's the same incident. It's the same instructions. But this is what I wanted to point out to you. It's not. That is about one year into Jesus' ministry. It's about a year, maybe a year and a half, before the Luke 10 passage. Jesus was just giving his disciples instruction because he was sending them out basically to announce the kingdom. But now, when we come to Luke chapter 12, he knows he's about to die, and yet he wants them to have the same instruction. And my point to you is to understand that this isn't the same incident. It's him repeating himself. Just like a good parent will say, listen, I need you to do this, or I need you to watch out for this, and you repeat yourself, and you repeat yourself, hoping that your child listens, and you don't ever want to come back to your child and say, look, I told you so, and here's my exhortation to you. Jesus is going to give these steps, these reasons, okay, why we shouldn't fear in this world, and I believe that they are something that we should take to heart so that none of us None of us have to hear from Jesus like, wow, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? I told you so. Because I want us to be people who really shine during this coronavirus pandemic chaos. I want us to be Christians that are different. I want us to be a church that really shines. And so please, as we go through this text, I think it's really clear that we have principles here that we can follow. So we pick up in verse 1, and it says, under these circumstances. So you look at verse 1, and it says, under these circumstances. Like, what circumstances? Well, Jesus has just dealt with the Pharisees and the scribes coming at him, and he, he's rebuked them, and he's instructed them, and he's corrected them. But he realizes that amongst the crowd, there is this 
underlying opposition that the Pharisees are spreading. Because it says, under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together, they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, beware of the leaven, leaven of the Pharisees. Now, you would think, wait a second, Mike, why is this such a bad situation? People are stepping on Jesus, stepping off Jesus, they're stepping over one another. The crowd has to be so big. It's, it's in the thousands. They're all coming to see Jesus. Isn't that good? Well, remember, because we know he's already fed the 5,000, he's only maybe less than a year away from dying, the crowd is there not for the righteousness. The crowd isn't there to make a commitment to Jesus. They just want stuff from Jesus. And they are the same crowd that will say, Hosanna, 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 in just a few months with the triumphal entry, but then days later, we'll say crucify, 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 because they are susceptible to the false teaching of the Pharisees. The Pharisees being the religious leaders of the day, along with the Sadducees. Made up, they made up the, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, the leadership group. And so the Pharisees were the more strict ones, the more adhering to the, into the Bible, and, and yet twisting the Bible. And so when Jesus says, beware of the leaven, just like yeast spreads through dough, he's saying, you got to be aware that this teaching, this bad instructions, the bad thoughts of the Pharisees is going to spread and it's going to impact all these people. And so as you're looking around and as you're seeing this crowd that's all around us, and wow, you know, it's got to be crazy. It'd be like a, you know, a person that maybe is like a rock star and he's got thousands and thousands of people clamoring to get him and he thinks everything is wonderful but the reality of it is they are really not there to serve Jesus they're not there really to worship Jesus and he knows that that under the instructions of the Pharisees these people are going to turn and so he says beware of the leaven of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy and the hypocrisy is that they're pretending to be religious leaders they're hypocrites they're not really religious leaders in the sense that they're really not on God's side. They are against God, and, and they are going to influence the people against Jesus. And so, verse 2, but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Jesus is very cognizant of the fact that everything is going to come to light. This is something good for us to know. So just understanding the context, Jesus lets his disciples know that nothing's going to be in secret. Everything's going to come out. And I think ultimately in judgment, that's exactly how it's going to play out. But he says in verse 3, Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in your rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. <clears throat> I believe what Jesus is trying to get them to do is to be open, not to have any secrets, to be people who are very transparent. Be people that are going out and proclaiming the truth. What you know, we're, we're not hiding things. We're not doing things in secret. Christianity doesn't have these secret rooms and we have special teaching that nobody else knows. My goodness, when anyone ever comes to you and says, oh, we've got some special teaching and nobody else knows this, uh-uh, that's a problem. That's a red flag, all right? So as he is instructing his disciples and he wants them to be cognizant and aware of the fact that we're to be different than these people. We're not to be underhanded. He knows, though, the influence they're going to have. And that's when he begins with verse 4. And when we come to verse 4, what we've got to be aware of, what we've got to be knowledgeable of, is that Jesus is going to really bring in the concept of fear. Like I said, you're going to see the word fear once in verse 4, three times in verse 5, not once in verse 6, 
but once more in verse 7. So let me read it again. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So what I'd like you to do, if you have your sermon notes, fill in the blank with the word commanded. Because the very first reason that we aren't to be people who fear the wrong things is because we're commanded to fear the right thing, but also commanded to not fear. So reading it out, it says we are commanded to not fear people and death, but God. Because ultimately, I want to note, you cannot get away from God. And, and so as we look at verse 4, he says, I say to you, my friends, and so Jesus recognizes that he wants it to be a, a loving relationship. He calls them friends, and we know that Abraham was called the friend of God, and James, I believe, in the, in the book of James, the epistle of James, it references this concept. And there's a sense where Jesus, even on the last night of his life in the Gospel of John, tells his disciples, I now call you friends. I call you friends. And so when somebody calls you a friend, they want to draw you near. They want you to know that they're with you, that they're close to you, they're supportive. And I think that's important because what Jesus does say is something that's very hard. Because he says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Now, listen, I don't know about you, but I don't like pain. And someone can kill me and put me through a lot of pain, I'm not going to be happy. And you want me to ignore that? You want me to not back down? And the answer is absolutely do not fear those who can kill you. Now, my New American Standard Bible says, do not be afraid. But the verb there is phobio, which we get our English word, um, a derivative phobias, okay? And it's a word that means to be afraid, to reverence. It has you know, multiple meanings, and some of it, shades of it come down in the context. But the idea is that we are, we are people to not have a tear of people that can, can kill us. Do not fear those who kill the body. And when we see this verb, do not fear, it's in a, a passive form, meaning this is, this is something that we're not to allow to let happen to us, where an influence comes upon us. Do not fear, do not fear those who can kill. And obviously, kill means take your life. And the idea is that we look at them, and when we understand the definition of fear, of like having a reverence or of an awe, or respect, a terror, I think this conveys more of the terror aspect. Don't be like in terror of them, all right? And, and so as we're gonna move on, it's gonna make more sense why, but at this point, you gotta say, well, my goodness, you know, if, if there were people all around me, if there was fear um, all around me because there were people all around me that wanted to kill me, you better believe that it's going to bring a bunch of terror in my, my heart. And, and as I've studied fear this week, and I looked it up on some different websites, there's some medical websites that talk about the impact of fear. Fear is just not a good thing to have if it's at the wrong subject. Now, you look at worldly medical sites, they don't ever say, oh, it's positive fearing God. 
We're going to look at this and we're going to flip these in a second. But the reality of it is, is when you look at fear and regard of phobias and things that people have a tear over, I want to just give you five um, horrible results of being in fear. Number one, if you're a person in fear, it paralyzes you. And when I talk about paralyzed, you don't want to move. You don't want to act right. You, you either sit around worrying all day. So <clears throat> if I feared, you know, um, sunshine, I wouldn't go outside. If I feared, you know, um, you know, roller coasters, I wouldn't ever go on a roller coaster. I wouldn't be able to move. I wouldn't be able to, to do something. Well, in this day and age of people fearing the pandemic and fearing dying because of this disease, if you're sitting around worrying all day, that's not good. You're preoccupied with it and it's taking you away from your responsibilities. So ending up paralyzed in the sense of not being able to act, not being able to move is not good. Second, there's an, an impairment upon your health. Your health gets impacted by fear. Fear of the wrong thing leads to anxiety, which weakens your immunity system. It weakens your heart. There's been medical tests upon this. Fear is not good when it is in a <laughs> negative way. And so think about the fact that this coronavirus works on your immunity system. Do so you weaken your immunity system with anxiety right now, with fear? You're not putting yourself in a good position. You don't want to be someone that's in, in, in a state of fear. So again, fear of the wrong thing. Number three, it causes edginess. Fear of the wrong things causes edginess, that you're always ready to explode. You're always having people around you walk on eggshells because you're so tense. And so being someone that is edgy is not good. Fourth, I believe, and as I that a fourth negative of fear is that it gives you justification to sin. Meaning that you look at the fact that I'm in this bad situation, things aren't looking good for me, I don't think anything really matters, and so if I need to sin, I need to drink, I need the drugs, I need to just go out and be sexually immoral, it doesn't matter because the world's ending. Well, that's not good. That's definitely not good because sin is not good, right? We all should know that. And then fifth, what they find with people that are in a state of fear is that they become very forgetful. It impacts your memory in a very negative way. So your memory is impacted. You're not able to focus. You're not able to remember things. You're not able to recall things. And none of that is good. And so obviously when you're dealing with a virus or you're dealing with people who are going to persecute you or whatever, and Jesus says, don't fear, don't fear. You think, wait a second, these things are legitimate. Why shouldn't I fear? Because look, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after have no more that they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. So he says, I will, I'm telling you, I'm making you aware, I'm warning you, the, the word to be aware, I want you to know who you should. This is the subjunctive tense at that, um, in verse five, in that sense, I, this is what you should do. This is what you ought to do. You need to fear this one. And he tells you again, with the second command in this section, fear, the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Well, he never says God, but I think it's by implication, it is God. Fear the one, right? And God is the one. He is the only one. And again, interestingly enough, aorist, passive, and the idea of being passive is that one is being influenced, something is influencing you, and here it's the one. God is the one that is influencing you, and I believe by the context we can even show that the one is clearly God. 
So God is, clear, is clearly to influence you. And with it being the aorist tense, I don't think I alluded to it earlier, but the aorist tense, meaning that this is like always true. This is always true that you should be letting God influence you. Why? Because he has the authority to cast into hell. And I tell you, again, you should fear him. That's what it's, again, a passive tense, aorist passive, you should fear him. And so here's this truth that we know is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1-7. Proverbs chapter 9 talks about the fact that it's the beginning of wisdom. All of these concepts of dealing with knowledge and wisdom being tied to the fear of God are positive. The negative is don't fear the wrong things, but fear the positive thing. Have a reverential respect. Have a concept that God is not to be crossed. You know, there's all kinds of people who try to water it down, and I get it. We don't want to be shaking in our boots, and there is some aspects when you do a word study of the three main words for fear in the Old Testament. The words for terror that talk about fear aren't used with fear of God. The words that deal more with reverence and awe and respect are used in the Proverbs 1-7 passage, in the Proverbs 9 passage, and the various other passages about fearing God. I think there's like 40-some passages that positively talk about the respect that we need to have for God, and they're translated fear of God. This is something for you to focus on. This is something that you are to have. And so you see this reason that we're not supposed to be concerned about anyone that can kill us is because God wants us to have the right fear over the one who ultimately needs the right respect. And he puts it in here that ultimately he's the one who could put somebody in hell. And I believe the word there is Gehenna. And Gehenna was a, a, a garbage dump that was there in Jerusalem. It was a place where things were burned and it was horrible and stinky. And at one point, even people in Israel's history sacrificed babies there. And so it was a, a very, very horrible place. And it got the association with the ultimate judgment, hell. Um, so Jesus says, I warn you, fear the one who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And so here you got a command. So two times it's positive, fear him, fear him. One time it's negative, don't fear the other. So I put it together. So I know it can be some, somewhat cumbersome, but it's like, let's get the positive and the negative together. Negative first, don't fear the wrong things, fear the right thing. And so... Obviously, the disciples back then weren't facing a pandemic, but they were facing also death, just like we're facing, and facing chaos. And if death is the worst thing that can happen, well, ultimately, anything else is less. Anything else is less. That's the way I look at it. And I want us to be aware. It's not like we're, we're not taking this as a joke. We're not taking this lightly, but we have a command to follow. And I don't want any of you to come before God. He says, I commanded you. I, I gave you instruction to not fear things of the world. But you were to fear me. Now, when you've got a command, it's a mindset. It starts in the mind. And it's going to impact your emotion. Because somebody might come back and say, wait a second. My fear is an emotion. And how do I control my emotions? Well, God wants it to start with the right mindset. You say, well, how do I... How do I become more obedient in this situation. When I look at the things that are so impending, I look at the empty grocery shelves, I look at the newspaper headlines every day and they're talking about more and more people dying and what is it, like I said, 
the number of people getting this disease are tripling every, every three days. So look, I get that. I understand that when we look at this, we can become filled with trepidation. But I tell you, look at the scriptures and ultimately think about the one who made the world in six days, the one who split the Red Sea, the one who sends manna from heaven, the one who defeated the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the one who defeated death when Jesus was in the tomb. That's the one that you need to fear because ultimately he is the one, he is the one that is the most powerful. He's the one that you need to respect. He's the one that you need to honor. And when you do that, remember I said there's like those five negatives? When you fear him, I truly believe you can flip him. And I want you to think about that because isn't it interesting where the world fear puts these negatives on you, a fear of God flips everything. So that number one, where I said the negative was that you're paralyzed, number one for fear of God, I believe you act. You do the right thing. You go out and you're a witness. You live for God. You do what you're supposed to do. So you're free to move. Number two, your health is better. You're not going to have the anxiety. You're not going to impair your immunity system. You're not going to impair your heart because you are going to have a healthy outlook on life. Three, you're not going to be edgy. You're going to be at peace. You're going to be at peace. I believe as you focus on God, Philippians chapter four, right? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will be yours. You're not going to be edgy. You're going to be more serene. Fourth, you're going to be walking in holiness because you're going to be focused on God. You're not going to give in to sin. You're not going to justify your sin because you're not going to want to sin because you recognize soon you're going to be facing God. And you're going to answer to him. So you're not going to be justifying sin. And fifth, I truly believe you're going to be more focused. You're going to be more aware because you're cognizant of what's happening around you. Not with a terror, but with a peace. And so your memory will definitely be impacted. So listen, I truly believe that we can follow this command. And when we do, we're going to be blessed. But we don't, we don't stop there because as we move into verse 5, just looking at one part of it, the first reason dealt with both verses four or five, I wanted to take one aspect of it out, and that is, that is the authority. The authority. If you look at verse five, it says, but I warn you whom to fear. Fear the one whom, whom after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. The idea of authority is the right, the power. So fill in the blank. We are reminded of God's ultimate authority. He has the power. He has the right. Remember in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, go therefore make disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What's the line that happens right before that? Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. All right. There's no one that is ever going to come and later and say, wait a second, <coughs> I'm more powerful than God. I'm going to take away his right to do this. If God is going to take care of us, if God is going to bless us in the future. If God is going to take us to heaven, no one's ever going to take, take us away from him. Isn't that the essence of Romans 8.28? Turn in your Bibles there. In Romans 8.28, it's this great message of comfort, of God's security. And as you come to this great passage, 
that many of you know, many of you memorized in verse 28, Romans 8, 28, it says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And then we get this exhortation and we get all these reasons as to why we should feel secure. And when it all ends up in the great praise at the end of the chapter, verses 38 and 39, he says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I like that the fact there's no power, there's no virus, there's no nothing that can come along and say, wait a second, I'm more powerful, I'm going to take you away from Jesus. And then there's nothing that's created. Look at verse 39, it says, nor other created thing. Nothing within creation. No being, no Satan, no human can ever separate us from the love of God. So hence, it's very important that you know that you are what? A follower of Jesus. That you know that you're a disciple. Because remember, this instruction went out to disciples. And like I said, we're following in the steps. Go make disciples. Today we're disciples. So when Jesus gives this instruction, you go all the way back to verse 1. He began saying to his disciples, what is a disciple? But a disciple is a disciplined learner. Somebody that is committed to doing what God wants. We're committed to studying his word, studying his instructions, and then doing what he wants us to do. And it's really, really critical that we understand everyone that's a believer is a disciple. There is no second-tier Christianity. And I point that out only because we just went through a horrible um, past few decades of Christian thought that there was this false teaching that you become a believer and somewhere along the line of your walk, later on, you advance and you become a disciple. No, everyone who's a believer is a disciple. Um, we're called Christians because we act like Christ. We're, we're called, we are called friends because we have this relationship with him, right? We are called disciples because we are students who are dedicated to studying and putting into practice what he's taught us. And hopefully that describes you. And you say, well, that doesn't describe me. Well, then you better go back to square one. Because we who are disciples, when we believe, believers, we're trusting, right? That's one thing we do. But disciples are people who are committed to learning and then doing what he said. I mean, if I had uh, a bunch of people and I said, well, look, I'm in this business and these are my disciples and, and, and or, these are my student learners, all right? Maybe we wouldn't call them in business disciples. We call them student learners. And those students weren't doing what the boss wanted in that business. They'd be fired. Well, God wants us to be disciples, student learners, and the student learners are people that recognize he's our authority. And if he says it, we got to do it. But also in this context, it isn't just about being obedient to him. It's more so he's the authority and nobody else is going to ever take his power and his right away. Now, so you go through in verses 4 and 5, like I say, work and I split them together. We're commanded not to fear people in death but God. And then we're reminded of God's ultimate authority. And I want to point out one little point, though, because I put it under, under that first reason, because you can't get away from God. Now, what do I mean by that? Because remember what he says. He says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body. 
Well, when they kill you, that's it. There's nothing more they can do to you. But fear the one that ultimately can take your body and soul and basically put it in hell. Because what happens is, is when you die, guess what? Now your spirit, you're facing God. And I often think of the story of Jonah, right? Jonah wanted to run from God. And what did he do? Well, he realized on the boat that he couldn't get away from the storm and he couldn't get away from God. So the thing that he thought was, I'm going to go kill myself. I'm going to jump in the water and I'm going to drown. But Jonah didn't realize God could go down there, obviously, even while he was alive. But if Jonah would have died, where was the first thing he was going to go? He was going to stand before God. He would have stood before God. And the idea is you can't get away from God. You can't get away from him. And so ultimately, you know, the world can try to kill us. They can try to do things to us. But once they end up taking away our physical life, that's it. They're not going to be able to do anything else. I think the world fears stuff like that. I mean, I, I was thinking in World War II, many of you know in World War II, when the Italians finally were able to overthrow their evil leader, Mussolini, they ended up putting him on a meat hook along with, I think, his, his girlfriend. I don't think that was his wife. And they killed him, but then they, they displayed his body in a public square for days, I believe it was. And Hitler saw that, and Hitler didn't want that to happen to him as he saw the, the troops coming in and the Russians were coming in and the Americans were coming in, coming into Berlin. And so when he killed himself, he had instructions that they were to burn his body because he didn't want anyone else doing anything to him. Well, the reality of it is, once you're dead, you're dead. We, you wouldn't know if we spit on you. We didn't know if we put, a, put anything into your body because you're dead. But we need to recognize that ultimately, ultimately when you die, your spirit still has to face God. And so therein lies the idea, boy, I need to fear God and I got to recognize he's the ultimate authority, right? You got that? Well, let's go to the last reason and that is in verses six to seven. And Jesus says these, this, he says, are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Fear not one of them, yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Fill in the blank with the word forget. We are told God does not forget us. Now, the idea of forget is the key concept here because forget means to bring to mind, to act upon. Now, two wonderful illustrations are brought together, and that is the idea of the sparrows and the idea of the hare. Now, sparrows could be sold, and they could be sacrificed, and they could be eaten. Hare could be lost. Where does this go? What, what's he trying to say? Well, these sparrows that were so insignificant, and in that economy, I've, I don't know how much that two cents is. It's, it's just an insignificant amount. God is saying, look, I care for sparrows. I fed sparrows. I'm concerned. I know what goes on with those sparrows. That's the point. And then he brings it up, and he says, I know the very hairs on your head. Now, listen. Obviously, we can make a joke about people who don't have any hair on their head and, and, and the fact that, you know, how, what does Jesus count? But the reality of it is, is, is when you look at the normal head of hair, it's got all these hair follicles. And if you lose one, you think, well, that's no big deal. You know, if I'm not going bald or something like that, you say, well, you know, what's one hair? You know, no big deal. It's insignificant. But God is saying, look, whether it's these insignificant birds or these insignificant follicles of hair, I know what's going on. 
I know and I am not oblivious to what the situation is. Well, wait a second. If I'm about to get a spear in my side, if I'm going to be burned at a stake for believing in Jesus, or if I'm about to die because I've got a, a, a virus, does God know? And the answer is absolutely yes. Well, then, God, why don't you stop it? And I've got to come back to that great text. I believe it's Deuteronomy 29, 22. The secret things belong to God. We're living in an upside-down world. Bad things happen to good people. There, there is no good people, right, we say, right? But the idea here is the comfort that God is saying, I will not forget you. Do you not realize you are more valuable than the sparrows? So it's interesting. He talks sparrows, he talks hair, and then he comes back to the sparrows again. And the idea of value isn't that it's more treasured, but he uses a Greek word, pharaoh. And the reason I give you a Greek word, you may not know your Greek verbs, but it's a word that talks about that which is um, carried, that which is lifted up. Um, and it gets a sense of that which is needed, that which is our, gosh, needed, essential. It's something that's weighty and, and, and has value. And I thought about, there's like a comparison to the idea of, of glory. Glory is that which carries a lot of weight. Well, that's very similar here. What Jesus is basically saying is, you carry a lot of weight. Basically, you matter to me. That's what he's communicating. He's not going to forget us because he knows that we're important to him. It's not that we're worth the value. I mean, obviously we're sinners and none of us deserve heaven. We all deserve judgment. But because we have this relationship, because we were made in the image of God, God says, you're important to me. And, and if you die, if you face death, if you go through a tragedy, ultimately, I want you to know I will remember you. What do you mean you're gonna remember me? Well, that's why we go to the end of the book. And I love what Billy Graham always said. When I get down and I'm bummed, you know, I think the essence of what he was says, I go to the end of the I go to the end of the book because I know we all win in the end. And that's what we have to keep focused. We don't know where this pandemic is gonna take us. We don't know if all of a sudden that we are going to be facing mass shortages we're all going to be facing trying to get in a hospital and all the hospital beds are 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 packed and we can't get in or just all of a sudden the world is going to turn against all these christians and that's a possibility and and we'll talk i think in a future study too this continues on we're going to do a study on end times and how this all could fit in but god doesn't want us to fear what the world can do for us to do to us and so here's what I ask you. What steps will you take to deal with your fear? Fear of what the world can do. I want you to follow what the instructions are. I want you to fear God and not fear man, not fear death. Follow that instruction. I want you to keep before you that ultimately the ultimate authority is God. He's the one that will never be usurped. No one's ever gonna come alongside and say, nope, you know, God, I know you wanted to take care of these people in heaven. I know you were gonna take care of them. You're gonna reward them for how they live their life. I'm not gonna let you do it. That's never gonna happen. Now, for whatever reason, Jesus was allowed to be killed, right? We know to die to pay the penalty for sins. But I'm saying the fact that Satan got his way and then Satan got his way with 
Peter and Paul and Stephen and other martyrs that we've watched as the beginning of the church began and, and people died for their faith and people have been dying and going through horrific times. But the third reason is that's to bring us comfort is that we're never to forget that God's not going to forget us. And so the worst that a disciple could ever face is death. And I think I've laid out some really good reasons not to fear death, not to fear man. And so make sure that if you were to die with a coronavirus or die from a heart attack or die from being hit crossing the street, that you die believing in Jesus Christ. It's faith alone in Christ alone, who's God and man, who died to pay the penalty for your sins. When you believe, you become his disciple, and you want to study and know more, and you want to worship him. You want to fear him because you want to be in awe of him. You want to respect him. That is who you should be, and you want to make sure that you've got that proper attitude. And then... As you go out and you believe this, make sure your loved ones believe it. Make sure your neighbors believe it. Because the only hope that we have for this world right now is Jesus Christ. Because even if this, the, this virus gets wiped out and cured and no more we deal with it, people are still going to die. But we want them to die with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for the specific instructions that are given in this text. I hope people recognize the twist that this has. That we're not to fear the world and what the world can bring. But to fear you. To have a healthy respect and to honor you. We love you, God. And we thank you that you have given your word that can be so applicable, even in a pandemic. But in a greater way, as we go out into this world, may we truly be disciples who recognize that we need to go out boldly and with confidence, facing the world, never fearing it, because we have the right perspective of fearing you. In Jesus' name.